Welcome to Newsworthy with Norrisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. Hello there, friends. Thanks for listening. Welcome back. Uh, This is the second part of a conversation on the refugee crisis. This week we've got Joel Houston. He's back on. uh, You know Joel Houston from Hillsong United and Hillsong. Uh, He's based in New York. And uh, he was on a trip that Paul Nevison was on talking about a few months ago. And uh, so you can hear some of the conversation that uh, echoes what Paul said a while back, along with uh, a bunch of other good stuff that um, Joel will share with us. Uh, We also have a buddy of mine named Ramjan, who is originally from Rwanda. He lives here in Austin with me. Uh, He's a buddy of mine, and um, he's going to share some of his experience, which I think you're going to find very uh, enlightening. And uh, if you didn't listen to the first part of the conversation on the refugee crisis, last week we had uh, a Burmese refugee friend named Ruta and my friend Jessica Godot. Uh, Jessica had written a piece in the Washington Post on the, uh, some of the political discourse and its effect on refugees. And uh, that was on the Washington Post, like I said, a few weeks ago. And so if you haven't read that, go find that. Also, I uh, hope you heard the first part. And without further ado... We're going to start with Joel for the first 29 minutes, and then we'll get to Ramjan. Let's go. From Damascus or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, with, was that with World Vision, right? Yeah, it was with World Vision. It was, uh... had, had you, was that your first taste of really up-close-and-personal experience with the refugee crisis, or had you been aware of that before? Um, it, was my first, it was my first experience up-close. Um, I'd, I'd been aware of it for some time and because we, we have... Um, you know, we have a, a bunch of churches in Europe, and so, um, and all throughout Europe, Western Europe, even Eastern Europe, and so, I think it'd been a conversation um, for some time as far as like how, what to do, um, and just what's 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 the response of the church in the midst of this, and and it, I think everywhere it's so heavily um, politically charged, it, it, it's it can be difficult. Um, and so I think my my mom, she's such an advocate for these things, and so she she's like every other day. Um, it just she's all about you know posting stuff and praying and all this stuff, just talking about it. So it was, it was about a, I think it was something that I was aware of um, and had a, an interest in from a distance when it comes to just trying to read and understand and mm-hmm. and think about what, like why is this happening and and you know I, I think. Over the last couple of years, there's been no shortage of conversations, whether it be dinner tables or, you know, um, just hanging out with people and talking about everything that's been going on in the world. And in the midst of it, that one always comes up, and it's a tricky one. Um, well, I don't think it's particularly tricky when it comes to what we're supposed to do. It's a tricky one when it comes to what you, we can actually do about it because yeah. um, even being there, uh, I don't think I've ever felt so helpless in a, in a, in a situation where it's like... Hmm. You feel like there's actually no, I, I have nothing to give this person, and and especially because of the political climate there. Even with World Vision, it wasn't like we can't encourage these people around. Um, uh, like my faith, mm-hmm. um, we can encourage them in regards to faith, but we essentially believe a different thing, and so even that was tricky. It was, well, it wasn't like I, we did pray um, with a, a couple of the families, and and you know that was kind of interesting moment but we weren't, we weren't allowed to give them anything there was moments where I was like I would it was so hopeless that um, huh. it was it was 
we turned the cameras off, like um, Paul, who is our mutual friend. Um, you know, I don't think he has spent his entire life documenting crises or, and a lot of it is, is after the fact. Um, you know, sometimes, or, you know, I think we've all experienced elements of poverty, but this was like a, it was a different thing. It was a different heaviness to it. And, um, and a different sense of helplessness, especially in the moment where it really did. I think we all felt um, like it was, it was. It just felt wrong to even be filming it at times. So we would yeah. just turn the cameras off, and we would sit there and just like long, long silence, um, trying to. I don't know. It was even now thinking about it. You know, I, I didn't walk away with too many answers. You know, how how have you processed and made? try to make sense of that, like with your understanding of who God is and how God should and, and could act. Like how, how have you made sense of that tragedy of the ongoing tragedies in, in light of your like Christian convictions? I mean, I, I, I don't, I'm, I have a strong conviction about what we should do. Um, mm-hmm. And I think there's, there's a lot of people who are doing amazing. There are people who are, mm-hmm. uh, are, are, um, are stepping into that. And it's, I mean, it's a, I, can't, I just come back to Matthew 25 and I just look at, you know, the parable of the sheep and the goats and, 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 and the way Jesus puts it. And I kind of feel like there's this element where well, there's this moment in time where, as God has always done on the back of, you know, the fallout of human justice, however you want to call, call it, he has a way of working his story in and through it. But it doesn't take away any less from the immediate um, demands, I think, on us as believers um, to put ourselves in into that struggle one way or another, and that that can seem really cheap. Like I mean, every time I've ever tweeted something or said something about it, it's just amazing the response you get. Well, it shouldn't be amazing; it's just a light world we live in. But you know, people are like, "Oh, easy for you to say, man! Like, just tweet about it and do nothing." And I'm like, "Hey, like, I'm not out here trying to say like I've got the answers here. I'm just putting my hand up and saying I'm going to point my finger at myself first. Yeah. And say, if, if I don't at least recognize this, um, then there's no hope of ever taking a step further when it comes to whatever our physical response is or should be. I live in an, a, a nice home and, and um, you know, there's I rent it, but there's this like, little guest spot. And I'm thinking, like, would I be willing to open that up if a family needed? And, you know, when I was in, in Lebanon, with these families, I 100% would do anything to make that happen. But then you, there's so much political red tape you've got to get through, and then it's just like the constant. It's this like there's a million reasons why not. And I think that's – I think it's a healthy battle for us to be having within ourselves. I'm going like how much do we believe the gospel? How much do we cling to the word of God? And the commission that he's given us and what it means and looks like to, to follow him or to live like him or to represent him on the earth to what cost, you know? Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's a good place to start. Um, but, you know, when it comes to actually where we go from there, I think uh, it's still just trying to be obedient to whatever it yeah. is and, and ready for something, you know? Yeah. So you've talked about like the heavily politicized climate and as someone who is, you've been in the States for how many, a handful of years now? Uh, yeah, six years. Six years. And obviously you're Australian, uh, stepping into the American political climate as someone who's an outsider and you hear the, the discourse about 
refugees. Do you find yourself being like, you, you understand where this is coming from? Like, is it similar to back home or is this so foreign to what you're used to the way that Americans uh, talk about it? I mean, on this one issue, I think it's very similar back home. Um, you know, Australia is uh, a land of convicts. I think our, our, our way of life and our sense of nationalism is, is very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we, we have different ideas on, on, on some, um, you know, uh, on some issues because, I mean, for example, I came here, I was very naive at the beginning. I was like, well, how could anybody be pro-guns? Like, I just, I didn't understand that because in Australia we have a different yep. experience, different thing. So I've learned, it's been a humbling, <laughs> there's been a humbling in me. I've learned to, okay, at least try and understand more um, of the culture here and just what matters and why it's different. Yeah. Race is, a, is something that's very different here in America to uh, Australia, although we have, a, we certainly have um, uh, race issues that are awful. Yeah. Um, and so there's, there's similarities, but the, the thing with, uh, with, with the refu- with refugees and opening our doors and uh, in Australia, we call them asylum seekers. Um, is it's, it's pretty much exactly the same. And Australia has, for the longest time, had an influx, uh, especially from the Middle East, um, tra- travelling through Asia and coming by boat to Australia. And Australia, the government and um, most Australians, um, I think, kind of were like, hey, like, it's going to affect our way of life. They can't come in unless they come in legally and go through the process. But the process has been uh, something that I think, I think in many years from now, Australians would be very ashamed of, yeah. and uh, and I think in America it's a different, it's slightly different because um, it's a long way, it's it's quite removed from the the refugee crisis um, geographically, so it's easy to kind of just, you know, it's easy to focus on your borders and and and, and what's happening there when it comes to immigration, but but I can't help but think that it is. Uh, like a call, especially to the evangelical church in America, I, I just feel like God's going to say, hello, guys, where do you stand? Like, I don't believe that God is even allowing this to happen. It's just happening because it's it's the result of, of um, again, stuff I don't, it's not worth getting into here because I don't have the answers. In, but I do know this, that there is a, oh, there's a challenge and I think if you look at just the devolution of truth here in America, just in the world, just you, what's real, what's not, what can you believe, what can't you believe, opinion versus opinion, all these different things. There's this stuff that's in black and white or in red, I should say, that that is very clear. And when I have conversations with friends who disagree with me or, dis- or agree with me to a point and think, you know, I've taken it too far or I'm not seeing the whole picture, at the end of the day, I, I'm like, well, what's what have I got to gain by believing this? And what have you got to gain by not clinging to a sense of losing our lives or our way of life? If, if it came to that, to, uh, to take care of people. Yeah. And, um, and the answers are never, it always comes back to, uh, you know, safety or like taking away from what's mine. And I read, I read the story of the conversation Jesus had with the rich young ruler and and then what Jesus said to his disciples after that is, you know, unless you're willing to give up, you know, houses and fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters and children, um, 
And I'm like, okay, well, the, the challenge is there, you know, and see if I won't give you all of that in this life with troubles or persecution and the age to come. And so I just believe that we just, we, we're so stuck in such a, a momentary view, mm-hmm. um, a here now view of everything. And it's, it's very difficult for us to kind of see beyond our own, I know, perspectives or just preference. Yeah. It, it seems like it's easy to see like, well, that's just an issue over there. Like, especially in the States where it, it's a, it's a long trip to get over here. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I get the, Australia's a little bit closer, so maybe the, the travel makes it a little bit, it, it's, it's more on their doorstep, I guess, maybe. But um, it's easy to go, well, that's those people over there. And one of the things that Paul told me that stood out the most um, is that uh, the people that he got to know on that trip that, that you guys made together is that these were doctors and teachers and people just like you and me. And they're... Yeah. they're there's no difference in the, the second part of this conversation. My friend Ram Jam is going to tell me, uh, tell us about uh, a guy who is a part of our church as a refugee who used to be a high level politician that had like bodyguards and uh, and a convoy, mm-hmm. and now he's just in this. Yeah. And you're going, well, that really could be like there's there's no difference. Like it's not like I make good life choices, they make bad life. It's it's the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, you okay? So for that video that Paul put out. They, the mm-hmm. song he put under was by, uh, was it David Gunger's The Brilliance, the song Brother? Do you remember that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, my first thought was, like, when you're doing a video and it's got, like, a band in it, don't you need to put, like, the band's music on there? Like, isn't that, like, Paul, aren't you kind of, like, doing, doing Joel, like, a disservice there? But there's, uh, no. but the line in there, like, when I look um, uh, into my enemy's eyes, I see my brother. And it's like, yeah. well, that isn't, like, the heart of, like, the gospels. Like, we're all in this together, Yeah. It's powerful, and it's like I think, you know, we spend so much time. Look, you, you know what I do, and I, I think sometimes we have a, a culture within the church which is trying so desperately, uh, I don't know, to like be noticed or to to uh, to create expressions of of worship or just church culture or life or whatever it is that kind of mm-hmm. is is effective in the world. And uh, I, I promise you, like I, I'm a under no illusions like there's nothing I realize what we do I, I believe in excellence I believe in actually doing something great if you're going to make a record we talked about this last time if you're going to do church like make it as, as great as it can there's nothing wrong with it if, if that's not as long as it's not the main thing yeah. but if we really want to know what's going to separate um, the church and cause people to take notice and and create uh, a space where I think we we can be recognized for what we're supposed to be, which is to be the visible image of, of Jesus in the world. It starts by like living in a way that is so like Christ open like this. I think this is an opportunity. And I know for like you know, um, friends of mine who pastor in, in Germany and in, in Paris and, you know, the church we have there, like no one's, they're not getting New York Times isn't telling their story and they're not, you know, yeah. they're not Instagramming like crazy, but you know, their, their doors are, their doors are open and they're having these ex- incredible experiences like training, um, training young men who are actually already brilliantly trained in certain professions, but helping them to kind of, um, understand the language skills and understand how, you know, just the basic, um, yeah. things in life work when it comes to like all that stuff. And I think, I think that's a great start um, there. I think for us in America, 
the challenge is to kind of go, hey, like if 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 we really want to see God do what we want God to do in this place, not just like I, I can't even get into it because I'm going to offend to people. I'm not American. I can't do it. But the same in Australia. So I want you to say, I'm just talking about, I guess, just us. Um, there's an opportunity here. And I feel like God's sitting there going, all right, like, where are you going to stand? Like, what are you going to do about this? And I believe that ultimately he's going to, he, he's, he is in control, but that doesn't like, that doesn't dissolve us of our responsibility yeah. in that. And um, yeah, I don't know what it looks like. Man. Yeah. So as, as a pastor, like, I feel like this is something that I need to, to speak to, to not just really for tell my opinion, but to tell the stories of people who've lived this and to use whatever I have to help communicate the stories of the people um, that really know this better than me. And so I'm trying to figure out, like, how does this work into my calling as a pastor? As, like, as a songwriter and a pastor yourself, like, what do you see, like, as an artist, do you see this as somehow being infused into what you do? Like, does, does it connect? I, I, what's the thought process there? Look, I think it does connect, and I think that anything that's in, like the anything that's close to God's heart, is should be overflowing from ours and whatever expression we bring to what we do. So I think it, it does involve um, what we communicate from our pulpits. It does, um, like as a songwriter, you know, I think there is a responsibility there to be um, to be at least addressing or creating art in some ways that helps at least open people's minds up a little bit or or hearts up, soften people's hearts to kind of just, I guess, ask questions again about like, you know, what, what is it that I believe when it comes to this stuff and why do I believe this stuff? And, and, and from there, maybe I think like, I just have to trust that the spirit does a deeper, deeper work in people. Um, Cause it's just hard to get past people's brains at the moment. Yeah. Um, but the, the other thing, you know, I just remember sitting there, one of the stories that I, I'll never forget is, talking to this um, this young family. And the guy must have been, I mean, maybe he was in his mid-20s. And his mum was literally dying in front of us because she couldn't get, um, she was a diabetic and couldn't get her treatment. Um, no, she had a heart, she had heart surgery, but couldn't get the drugs she needed. His brother was right there, I mean, literally dying in front of us because he was a diabetic and couldn't get um his insulin and whatnot, and he was also he'd gone blind, and and then we're talking to him about his life, and he's like, you know, I'm I was a, a teacher, um, you know, in the in the high school, he goes, and I was training to um, do judo and to go to the Olympics, and I'm sitting there going, and the Olympics were like three months away at that point, and I'm sitting there going, you your dream before this happened was that you were going to go on and represent Syria at the Olympic Games and and you're here and this like and you know I couldn't go in the story forever and I was just it just blew my mind because I just he talked to them and the dreams in their heart is to go home to Syria we would ask all of them about their life before the conflict and, and I mean they shared the exact same loves the same joys in life that we take for granted every single day and I think that was it was I think humanizing um humanizing them for yeah. a better term it, it, that that was a beginning i think um and i you know i i've always thought that i've had a, a, a strong sense of value for humanity because i think that's one thing that i feel i mean it should just come naturally for us if we, if we really know who jesus is but 
but this was a different level of just kind of I would you you you're my you are my brother you are my friend like we could easily if we had grown up in the same neighborhood or if you lived in my neighborhood we could relate in a way that is you know kicking a football around or going to see a movie or talking about the same rubbish on television and and you know like yeah. there's no difference there and um and that was I think that's something that we have to get to quickly as the church and as people is actually just recognizing the humanity. And I think then there's an opportunity for empathy to kind of um, do a work in us that I, you know, I believe that only God can do, but just a sense of putting ourselves in their position, putting ourselves in their shoe. Every time I see a young child, I've got a three-year-old boy, I can't help but my heartbreak, you know, no. um, education, prayer, and just conversations like this. I mean, you know. what what do you think? So, at your church in New York. What do you think? Like your average parishioner, who who sees them as a them instead of them as a us. What do you think? Like the biggest obstacle to to get to that? They see like that is your brother. That is us, not them. What What do you think is separating us from getting there? I mean, it's hard because there's people who I love and know very like who I you know it shocks me sometimes what kind of stems out of a conversation and I don't know where it comes from. It doesn't matter what I say, you get into an argument. I mean, we've yeah. all had these conversations. It's like there's a blindness and it's either I'm, I'm blind or he's blind or one way or another, we're not seeing eye to eye on this. And and I'll just keep coming back and going, but look, to me, it's a deeper spiritual thing. Like everything you're saying, I understand. I get your, your points and I understand. You, I'm not saying you're wrong. But I'm just saying, like, maybe you don't see that there's a deeper layer there. And so for me, it is a spiritual thing. Like, there's a there's a blindness on people that, you know, at some point, you know, I believe, you've got to believe that God's going to open people's eyes. Um, but it's... Yeah. I think it's a process, you know, for all of us. And, and so I think once, once you cross into, like, when you understand Jesus and you understand what the cross represents. There's no turning back. It's just you, you, you plunge into deeper truth and revelations and just more of, of an understanding of grace and, you know, his commission for us to love others as he loved us. And, and, and I think the prayer, like a lot of my prayer is like that God keeps softening my heart, keeps opening my eyes, giving me ears to hear um, what he'd have us do and a willingness to, to literally give up whatever is precious to me to follow him. And there's a whole lot of areas where I'm not there yet. Um, and I, I want God to do that work in me because I really believe this stuff. And I believe that that's, that's going to be the difference when it comes to actually people recognizing who Jesus is through us. So my prayer for my friends or, or others, the people in our churches is with on all of these issues and all the hot button issues that are kind of raging around us is that, is that, bit by bit, moment by moment, the process begins to come alive inside of people and we continue to die to a lot of the stuff that at the end of the day is just selfish um, that are the reasons why we, we can't yeah, see. That's good. Okay, so you're connected to uh, World Vision. Uh, uh, any other organizations that you're connected to that you're, uh, you're a believer in that, that are working in this industry? Yeah. I mean, I, we've had a long-standing relationship with A21, you know, Christine Cage, Oh, of course, been, yeah. Which you... They've been in the church forever, and so they've been doing they've been doing amazing things. We have a lot of our um, a lot of our volunteers in um, in the European countries have been traveling and spending on like literally just going out one after the other. 
along the road that people are traveling. And so they, one of the things they did is they, they took shipping containers and turned them into sanitary stations where they can have a shower, um, uh, get some cleaning products and all the rest of it, giving people just the basic necessities and basically encouraging them on their journey. Um, there's a couple other things that I know are in the works that I think would be interesting that would be more about um, trying to tell stories along the lines of helping people to kind of see a different yeah. perspective. Um, and then, you know, I, I've been absolutely moved to bits by just the work of preemptive yeah. love and what they're doing. And so I think those guys, with Josh and those guys, I mean, it's, that's something I think, th- that's the best example like, I've seen of, of people just putting, of going there. And I think the more we champion that, whether it's giving, um, just support in all the which ways and and more people kind of being willing to go to that extent. I think there's um there's hope there, you know, and it might seem small to begin with, but I I, I believe there's a post, like, a day that where it's like this is this is my most idealistic lofty dream would be that like there'd be a coalition of churches and people who who'd be willing to go, hey, we'll take them. Mm. And that we're able to lobby government in some way to say, hey, like you vet them, do whatever you gotta do, but we'll take responsibility. And I think that would be an extremely, I mean, maybe it's too much to, to, to believe could happen, but that's kind of the thing that I, preferably in my spirit, I'm like, I wonder if that, that could no, be something. That's, um, that'd be a beautiful picture of what we as a church are supposed to be. I met a family uh, last Sunday night that had been in the States, uh, uh, refugees for, for two weeks. Mm-hmm. And the guy... Um, he looks like he's younger than me, and I think he's got like four kids. Or he does have four kids. I think he's younger than me and does another language, and he's got, I think, like three to four months to get a job and to start uh, taking care of himself or he loses his ability to stay in the States. And you go, oh, my, like, I, how do you do this without churches and people who will rally around and say, we'll teach you the language, we'll help you get to the interviews, and I, I think that's a beautiful picture of what the church can be, and I love the church's... That, that are doing that now. And that's, um, I'm going to brag on my mm-hmm. church for one second. In our, in our, in our staff on, meeting today, um, my ch- uh, children's minister I get to work with, she told me that um, one of the refugee families um, came to her Sunday in church and uh, she was getting them checked into the classes and all that stuff. And uh, they said, we, we really feel like you guys want us here. And they go, oh. hmm. First of all, I hope every church will make you feel that way. But the fact that you said that, I mean, it's like, mm. yes, our children's ministry, like we're doing something good. Like that's, that's, that's the best of what we have to offer. It's not like some sermon that yeah. I can preach. It's not, it, that, that's it. So uh, I love what you're doing, man. Thank you. Well, I appreciate what you're doing, man. And, and, you know, I think just the last thing is like, you know, I think people have to remove, like, I think one of the hardest things for us to kind of reconcile is what it's like we think that, this is this is their problem, or that that all these people want to come yeah. to America or Australia uh, because they want the American Australian way of life, and it's it's actually not the truth. Um, I think they they're desperate, like they actually love their homeland, they mm-hmm. believe in their homeland, they're proud of their homeland. Um, they they just have no choice, and and so it's it's this sense of like it's just stopping with like just putting the blanket statements of like well they're you know. They're Muslim, so it is what it is. So they're enemies. Like, you know, I'm, take the Islam out of it. And I'm, I'm not saying that it's not whatever. Like their faith, they, these are people, and they they grew up in an ideology or a belief system 
they're not, that's not, that's not what defines them. And I think it's, I think we have to stop thinking that way or else we have no hope of, of, uh, of them ever experiencing what we believe to be truth, which is, is Jesus. So it's, it's just starts with, with, um, I think just pointing the finger at ourselves and putting our hand up and saying, okay, I don't know, but I'm willing to try. That's good, man. Well, Joel, thanks for your time, man. I appreciate it. (laughs) All right, brother. Okay, first of all, there's no way I can say your last name correctly. Uh, Ramjan Nioita. I got Ramjan pretty good. Uh, Nioita. 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 Is that close? Very correct. It's a Rwanda name. Uh, so that's my last name. Mm. It's not a family name because, uh, like in Rwanda, we. Uh, uh, I was born in Yorra Congo, but we used to take like uh, the family, the father names. Or, mm-hmm. or, but when I came to Rwanda, they they refused to. They, they, their rules. They don't allow people to have the 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 father's names. Why? So it's better to have your name. Mm-hmm. Your no, your name, a uh, Kinyarwanda name, which is Nioita, and then what we call uh, the first name. Ah, you remind me something. These things of first name, last name in Rwanda does not exist, like in Africa. Really? What do we call first name here? Is last name in our country in Africa? So that's for something that was always disturbing me, feeling like application. What is your first name? I put my last name. What's my <laughs> So uh, we the, we don't have a family name like you guys. May I can know? Uh, I, I can. Uh, it's easier for me to know your father, your father's name, your, mm-hmm. your relatives, or because yeah, yeah. the the last name. But interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, so as a kid, you guys left the Congo mm-hmm. because of strife and violence in the Congo, and you yeah. fled to. Is that right? Uh, my parents were were born in Rwanda. In, and at the time of uh, 1990, no, 1960s, when uh, Hutu and Tutsi started mm-hmm. killing, like, like Hutu, when, when the regime of kings uh, finished, and then uh, the Hutus want to kill Tutsi because mm-hmm. uh, they say that Tutsi were uh, oppressing them. So my father and my mother, they moved to Diara Kong as refugees. Mm-hmm. So we went. The, that's where we were. I was born in we call in exile in the, mm-hmm. in Dura Congo. But my father's mother, they they are originally from Rwanda. So we went to Congo as refugees. I was born there as a refugee. Grew up there. Ah, terrible life there because you know it's all terrible. We what's so terrible about it? Um, at school, at school, we didn't have a uh, we didn't. Study well with uh, with Congolese because they used to hate people from Rwanda because say people from Rwanda they came and then they took like opportunity from them. They we are speaking. Uh, we they said that Tutsi they were they were very clever, very um, hard working. So they start hating us and then the school at school even teachers they used to hate us. Really? So we don't we didn't have like the right to live there because we were living. Going in the market, hiding yourself. Mm. Uh, the only place we used to go there, happy in the church, is in the church only. But really? uh, other self life outside that was very bad. So, so you're Tutsi. Yeah, I'm right? Tutsi. Okay, and then eventually you 
went back to Rwanda? Yeah, we went back to Rwanda after 1994 genocide. When uh, mm-hmm. genocide happened, uh, people died, a lot of people, like millions of dudes died. Yeah. And then we came back when the uh, army, the uh, RPF, they called RPF, they came and they uh, fought with the regime of the Habiarimana, who was the president at that time. And then uh, those people who were exiled to Uganda, Kenya, Tanzania, Diora Congo, they came back to Rwanda. Mm-hmm. That's how we came back to Rwanda. So you, you're back in Rwanda. Mm. Now, one of the things that I love about you, and you've sent me your YouTube videos of you doing comedy, and you know I just love that. And I don't understand... How, do you, wh- how did you... You don't understand the language already. You. Well, no, I have no clue what you're saying. You sent them to me. But you I was like, got this is it. That's I mean, good. I liked watching. I was like, I don't know. I mean, you might have terrible <laughs> jokes, but I thought this is awesome. Yeah, yeah. But one thing that pushed me to do comedy, first of all, in Rwanda, it's, it was... Uh, uh, when I came to Rwanda, people were very sad. People were having grudges, you mm-hmm. know, because of what happened. They were not happy. They were mm-hmm. always sad. And then myself, as a Christian, I say, what can I contribute to the society? So I say, let me Tell some jokes. do something, <laughs> jokes. But I will not talk about politics because politics, I know most of people in Rwanda and Africa, they hate politics because most of the politicians there, they... When they go to the power, they think about themselves and their families. They don't mm-hmm. think about others. So they hate politics. So I say, let me bring a comedy uh, that will target the family and kids. That's all my, my target. Uh-huh. Family and kids, funny things, talking about uh, life, daily life. And um, uh, I, I, I started in a church, doing stand-up comedy mm-hmm. in church. I used to call myself the comedian of the altar. On the altar, of the post. altar, because <laughs> <laughs> that's where I start. Uh huh. Um, so how? Okay, so when you're telling jokes to people who've gone through genocide, and mm-hmm. you've got people whose family are not intact, and people who've probably had to go in exile, and they've come back, and I mean, it's just awful atrocities that that people have gone through. How do people laugh after that? Like, how do you have a, a joke after such? Like, that's the worst thing in the world. Like that, which you guys in Rwanda have gone through. Uh, it's it. You know. It's, me to be a comedian, it was not like something that I, I might say that's like, I, uh, I, uh, I have someone whom I imitate in my family. It's something that I prayed for. I asked God, what can I do to contribute to the society? Mm-hmm. And then the good things, God gave me the fervor of speak, the, to be wise and to speak things that sometimes for me is not funny, but people they love. I used to joke about genocide. Uh, the like in the airport every year we commemorate the genocide in the airport. Yeah, in my country that mm. we commemorate genocide, mm-hmm. and then they used to call me like to be like a MC master of ceremony, and then mm-hmm. because of some jokes on me, and I could make jokes about that. A I talk like a terrible situation won't happen uh, when I was uh, uh, one 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 of the people. I talk, there is a, a funny joke that I I gave to them. It was in French and Swahili mix. I don't know how I'll make it translate in the, in in we'll a, try in a, in English. But uh, it's a guy that they 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 called him. They asked him, "Are you a Tutsi?" Because those are yeah, people yeah. who want to kill him. Because yeah. you know they we they we def, they used to differentiate Tutsi and who to by the nose. If you have big nose. Le, not le, yours, yours. What am I? Yours, you are Tutsi, according yeah. to them. I okay. 
So you only have. Wait, so you mine's have big or small? <laughs> I have a big nose. You have a small. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, you have a small <laughs> nose, yeah, Tutsi. You have big nose, yeah, Hutu. And then the guy was a Tutsi, but having a big nose. Uh oh. And then when they they arrested him, say, "Are you a Tutsi or Hutu?" Because you are you are confusing us and say say. Uh, I'm both. <laughs> I'm both. I'm Hutu and Tutsi. How? Uh, he said, physically, I'm Hutu, mm-hmm. and spiritually, I'm Tutsi. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I remember when uh, I cracked that joke. It was not a joke because I. It's something that he told because he was, you know, he was. He answered with fear, and then he said, "If I say I'm a Tutsi, they will kill me." So let me say both. And say, because they were targeting the, the physical part, they say, physically, I'm a Hutu, but spiritually, I'm a Tutsi. Because physically, the nose is big, he's Hutu, but oh, wow. in the heart, he's, he's so, a Tutsi. Okay. <laughs> that situation is so out of my experience mm-hmm. that it, it almost seems like a joke to think that that really happens. But in the midst of that, there's humor that you could find as a way to bring light to it. So... I've told you I've done some open mics. True, yeah. And so and I wish I could be there. Well, you told me that you've done you yeah, found done, Cap I've City done. too. Yeah, Cap City. I went there, I cracked a joke. The good things I found there, I was very happy. I start greeting people in French. I say, hey, bonjour, bonjour. And then uh, just to know if the audience can speak a little bit of French. And I, I, the good things are there are two family from from, from Belgium who are living here in the U.S., and they say, bonjour, bonjour. That's encouraged me to go to the stage mm. and say, ha, I have my people here, so let you me go to jokes. And then I was mixing French and English. Uh, but the things <laughs> I choose to do that in Capitalist Comedy is to do comedy with gestures. Yeah, oh, okay. Because I say I'm not strong in the communication in English, so let me just mix and some gestures. Or whatever. How did how it go? Yeah, it's one good. And they, later on, they, they sent me another invitation to come to perform. I say, you know what? I'm still struggling with language. I have to come when I'm, uh, I'm ready for the language. Say, uh-huh. And then the manager say, no, your English, your broken English is good. I say, oh, it's a broken English? Good. <laughs> so if it's a broken English, I won't come again. I have to come with my good English. Okay, well, first of all, they never invited me back. So uh, I guess you did better than me. But... <laughs> well, that kind of hurts my feelings. Um, thanks a lot, man. Okay, but the the best joke I had mm-hmm. was I made a joke. My mom has a chronic illness, and so my mom's been sick for the majority of my life. And oh, so I made a joke. I'm sorry. I wasn't. Thank you, thank you. I made a joke not about my mom, but mm-hmm. what it's like growing up with a mom who has a chronic illness. And it was it did so incredibly well. It was the best joke I've told. I'm not going to tell it right now. Don't ask me. <laughs> but but sometimes out of like the darkest stuff, people need to find levity or like find something to lighten what is such a stressful and tension filled time, mm. which I'd assume I, I can only imagine that that's what you're doing when you make those jokes sure. about a, a genocide, which genocide. Yeah. sensitive, very sensitive. Yeah. Okay. So you've done that. And so you've, you moved to Austin in the last. Yeah. This is my seven mile or something like seven, eight. Cause I came in the upper. Mm-hmm. That's my first time uh, I came to the U.S., uh, the country that I was dreaming to be there. So yeah. you dreamed of coming? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Since when? Um, from the time I started joining comedy, I dreamed to come to the United States because my favorite uh, comedian 
uh, who is Eddie Murphy. Uh-huh. So I used to watch him and say, I want to go to America. Maybe by chance I will meet with Eddie Murphy and then just greet him at least. <laughs> <laughs> Have Eddie you Murphy. met Eddie Murphy yet? No, I'm planning and uh, I praying. I'm praying so to meet with him because he's my favorite one. I watch the fa- he, there is a movie. Have you watched his movie called Prince Prince of uh, Le Prince à New York? In français, c'est Le Prince à New York. In English, the maybe it's a is it the Prince at New York Prince? Uh, I think it's uh, oh, it was like, like acting well, like king. No, here, where he acts like he's a king from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. Okay, I'm not the biggest Eddie Murphy fan, so I don't know all of this stuff, but I think it's called Welcome to America in yeah. English. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So uh, that, that's your guy. Eddie Murphy's your guy. Yeah, I was dreaming to come. So I came to April to uh, the, yeah, this year, and um, I was coming just to study. Uh, I, got, I got green card in few 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 months, like two months, I got green card already, so I'm a citizen. And uh, I'm not planning to go back to my country. Yeah. Uh, I have to be here and I'll go back to country to just visiting them, to greet them. I want to be an American by... Yeah. By, 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 yeah, you want to be... By acting, by, 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 yeah. by profession. Yeah, right on. <laughs> okay, and so we've gotten to know each other because we're both a part of the same church. Mm-hmm. We're at Westover. And yeah. I think the main reason is because of my great jokes. Like, that's why... <laughs> that's why you're here. Don't you... Okay, so... Like a couple of weeks ago, you were translate. We had a uh, a guy from the Congo mm-hmm. who was baptized, and yeah. so you translated that uh, to him and to kind of the rest of the church. Mm-hmm. The kind of the dialogue back and forth. And don't you do some of the other like helping translate the service to other people in the international class? Yes, uh, that's what I'm doing, and I'm doing as a something that I, 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 I it's it's like something I do. Or uh, not as a profession translator, mm-hmm. but I do it as a serving, yeah. as a service to the kingdom of God. I have been doing it in Rwanda, uh, but when I came here, so I found myself doing this. So in Westover, in the international class, uh, where I participate every Sunday, so we have a lot of people from DR Congo, from Rwanda, from Burundi, from Tanzania. Mm-hmm. So I have to translate because we. Like in, uh, as I say, like few African countries, they speak English as a yeah. second language. But in our French speakers, uh, like French is uh, the second language, uh, like uh, English, uh, something like fourth language. Mm-hmm. So uh, my broken English, I learned in a school. So uh, I, I'm trying to just to translate to them. It's a lot better than my French. And your French, I have never you, I have never. Je m'appelle Lucas. Tu Tu t'appelles? That's it. French toast. <sighs> I got. Fr- that's it. What What terrifies me is the thought of someone translating some of my jokes into another language. <laughs> I think about that at night, and I go, I, "Don't say that, Lucas. Someone's really." <laughs> I like I, that. That's terrifying to me. Okay, so you you help in the international class, but also uh, you've you told me that you've helped um, some of the refugees who've come to the States, mm-hmm. uh, they've been displaced, they need to get a job, they need to get started, and you've yes. gone around, like you've helped them translate mm-hmm. during interviews, yeah. and so you've gotten to know uh, a lot of our refugee sure, members. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, that's what I do daily to help them. Some have interviews, uh, appointment to the hospitals, uh, different places where they, like in the market, sometimes I go with them. Mm-hmm. So uh, mostly, most of my time here in the United States, I'm with, Refugees, uh, mm-hmm. help them. Okay, so you have experience as a refugee as a kid, mm-hmm. and then your family obviously has gone through just terrible situations. When you hear, 
I'm assuming you're familiar with some of the political talk about mm-hmm. refugees in the United States. Yeah, sure. And you hear some of the people talk um, about how we should be afraid of refugees mm-hmm. and how they're a threat to our country and to our safety. And you know what it's like to be a refugee, and you know personally some of the refugee friends uh, that we have. Mm. Uh, how does it make you feel when you hear some of that? Uh, honestly, when I hear that myself, I'm not, uh, I'm not happy with the, what they say, the misunderstanding about refugees. Uh, one thing I can tell the people about refugees, uh, nobody chose to be refugees, first of all. We found ourselves to be refugees because of political matters, political issues, but refugees, they are not bad. We are good people. Because mm-hmm. first of all, let me talk as a refugee because I've been a refugee, mm-hmm. though I'm not here as a refugee, but yeah. I'm with them, I'm always with them, I help, with, I help them. So we, 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 we are human beings, first of all, and then we, <laughs> we love people. Yeah. We have these feelings, and uh, when sometimes when I had, when... Um, uh, that's that's what African they they like the the rumors that are in Africa now that is they are telling always when uh, Trump became the president they start sending us a message calling us say hey thank you we are waiting for you I hope you are coming back to Rwanda to Africa because uh, Trump is going to chase you they want to de- to deport you uh, that's the uh. misunderstanding they have and then uh, I was Wait, very so so there's m- people back home who are thinking, oh, y'all are going to get kicked That's out. what they think. Honestly, that's the mind of African people who are already in Africa. They know that we are living very bad here. We are like, we, uh, we are, they're always ready to welcome us back, home. back to the country, which is, which is wrong according so, to what I'm... So they hear Trump's going to kick every... Every refugee. Refugee, immigrant. Immigrant. Non-American. So, that's that's the bad news from Africa. And the, uh, one thing, I, I had a call from my boss. So when I, 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 when I resigned to, from my, I used to work on TV called mm-hmm. Remingo TV in, uh, in Rwanda. So my boss, when Trump was elected, and then the same night he called me, say, hey, Ramjan, I'm sorry. We heard that you are coming back, and uh, are you ready to continue to work with us? Uh, don't worry. Don't go to another TV station. We're still having you. We're still loving you. Please, when you come back, we know you come back because Trump, he's serious and he's gonna chase you guys. He's gonna deport you. So please come. We will come. We will give you. And then he, he start he start telling him about salary. So we give we give you good salary. Yeah. And say, my goodness, what is this? So how does that like? How do you feel when all that's going? Like how do, how are you feeling inside as there's this unrest, a sense like we're all gonna have to go back home? How are you feeling? Honestly, look, I feel bad. Uh, I, I, it's that's something that always hit my heart because nobody chooses to be, as I say, nobody chooses to be a refugee mm-hmm. and uh, to be in. Uh, or immigrant, we came. Every person who is here, let me say legally, he came here by by a reason. Mm-hmm. So, and the good things of refugees, they are here because of the uh, agreements with the the country uh, with Nas- United Nations. Because they are here because they 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 they, they, they brought them here be- to go far from the country mm-hmm. uh, where there is war and fighting and the. That's 
something that is legal to be here. And when we hear, normally when we heard those words, mostly, we, uh, like I remember uh, when after Trump was elected, I went to one family here. Uh, she's a member in the Westover. And then she told me, Ramjan, do you think we are going back? And she starts crying. I can't go back to Rwanda. I can't, no, she's from Congo. I can't go back to Congo. They killed my husband there. So I know how the country is. So how, why these people, they want to take back to the country that we, hmm. it's still, it's not a peaceful country. So, like, we are rejected. People, they, we came here, we thought that people, they, they are going to take care of us, they are going to welcome us, they are going to help us, and then, see, they are going to chase us. They are going to take back to the fight. It's like when the Israel were, were in, the, in, in the wilderness, yeah. you know, talking to, the, to, to Aaron and Moses, why did you take us here? Why did you brought yeah. us, the Lord has brought us in the wilderness to die here. We're supposed to be in a yeah. Pharaoh to be slaves there. So, you see, that's what, she, she was crying, and I told her, you know what, that's, Rumors, we are here the, for the purpose of God. We, ha- we are here because God allowed us to be here. Be strong, because I know those are rumors. And be strong, always pray. And the, honestly speaking, the one thing that is pushing people, a lot of people to come to Westover Church, is the love we found in the Westover Church. Hmm. Is the people we found there. Because in Westover Church, we see the love, the true love, from what we learn in the Bible, the love that forgives, the love that, you know, we are brother and sister in Christ. Yeah. So that's, we we happy. Because she, she came to church and then she, after church, I told her, how do you feel now? She said, I'm very happy. I wish to be always here to church. I wish to be here always. Because when I go home, I when I see my neighbors, I always, like, when, when she sees the neighbors white, mm-hmm. she feels that she's... She, 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 they are going to deport her. Always, she always. Hold on, hold on. When she sees a white person, there's a feeling that the white uh, person doesn't want them here. Yeah, want here. yeah. You see that's a misunderstanding. I told her no. Hmm. People, we love. They, they love us. They, they can't. They cannot kill you because this is a country that has a security, uh, and they each and everyone has his right and her rights. So, Wait, so when she's thinking someone could kill you that's not unrealistic because that happened to her husband like the government can do terrible things Mm -hmm. in her mind because she's experienced it sure oh wow so you're having to say the government we can't we don't do that here so that's the problem because whenever they still have in this mind from the country where they have been so they know that's even the the government mostly uh not all governments but uh, the governments in africa they were like 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 the country where there is a war, mostly we find that the government they are supporting the those rebels, there are people fighting whatever. So mm-hmm. that's why they fear the refugee. That that's woman she was fearing the people here, like the government here maybe. And then she, I asked her, I I told her to go to look for a job. I I told her let me just make sure, uh, help you and apply for you and get a job. Say no. Why? A job for what? It's better because if I'm going to work and then tomorrow they deport me, what, 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 what is about the importance of doing that? I, say, I told her, 
Bickle, become. This is not a real. This is a romance. Just always believe God. Pray God. The God brought you here. He knows how he will help you. If he chooses, if he allow us to go back to our countries, we will go there. But make sure that don't worry. You be yourself. Nobody will kill you. Nobody will mistreat you. So that is the misunderstanding. Hmm. Yeah. That's heavy, man. It is. What do you, so what do you think the biggest misconception that white America has about refugees? What do you think like the biggest thing that they just get wrong about what a refu- most refugees are like, the refugee experience is like? What do, they, what do we get wrong? Um, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good good question and a very serious question. Because uh, uh, <coughs> mostly, not all, but when they see refugees, uh, first of all, they come in mind that these people, they are not good. Mm-hmm. That's what uh, I'm not. I just I'm talking in general, not yeah. not pointing some people say this, they know. Because mm-hmm. uh, when you remember even the Bible, to be a refugee like the, when the Israelites were in, the, in, 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 in Egypt, uh, we are we are called refugees. They are not having the full right to live there or to be except Moses who break through and then become uh, one of the important men in the, in the Pharaoh kingdom. But the means we always, that's me, how do I, do I call it? That's the way they see refugees, they see refugees as a people who are miserable, mm-hmm. people who are not having a vision maybe, there's no hope for living. Uh, there's no, no good from them. Yeah. Uh, there are people who are not educated. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those are some. Because yeah. uh, it's very, it's very, I don't know. It's, very, it's it, like he, there is a one guy, maybe he was telling me a joke. Because uh, <laughs> I didn't consider it as serious because he told me that, you know why? My boss, he, uh, he's a, uh, because he, th- that's the problem for, for, for us, for our refugees, they, they know to differentiate uh, Hispanic and then white. So like people from Mexico, so mm-hmm. the, 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 the Latino, and uh, mm-hmm. they don't know how to differentiate. So they say uh, he, ha- he had um, the manager, the supervisor was uh, from Mexico. And then uh, the, the guy, the, he was working in a restaurant. Mm-hmm. And then he, I don't know, he asked him, do you know, do you know, what, do you, do you know, he's called a, what kind of chicken? There is a, how, uh, uh, no, he asked, do you know how to make a French fries? Mm-hmm. And then the, the guy say, yeah, I know how to make it. I used to make it. And then the guy, and then the Mexican uh, was surprised to say, wow, wow, do you know how to make French fries? That's good. And then later on, the guy told me that, you know why? These people, they don't believe us that we know. They, they, they think that we are stupid. They think that we don't know things. I told my manager, my, my, my supervisor, that I know how to cook French fries. You know, I know how to make salad. I know, and then he was surprised to say, 
Wow, how did you know that? They think that all those people, refugees, they used to live in the in, 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 in forest. They are in, yeah. They don't know anything about development, which, yeah. which is wrong. You know, let me tell something. The refugees, like in Rwanda, Congolese refugees who are living in Rwanda, mm-hmm. those are the best. They're very smart, mm-hmm. wearing very smart. You can't know that they're refugees. They're smart, driving a nice car. Yeah. They are refugees by their status, but what they have, they, they are living a nice life than even the people who are not refugees. So that's misconception. Misconception. That, okay, that was from. I had a friend who went to Syria mm-hmm. and around Syrian refugee crisis, and mm-hmm. he got to know people in some of the encampments, and he said the same things. Like these are people who are doctors yeah. and teachers, yeah. and they're just the. There would be a stereotype of okay, these are people who don't have a life and they don't have a. No, these like the difference between them and me is the skin color that they have and where they were born. There's no difference. Like It could have just as easily happened to me as it did to them. Let me tell you something. There is a guy, a man who used to come here to Westover Church. In his country, he was a governor. He's a refugee here. Oh, wow. Very respectable. Used to go with convoy, people, like bodyguards. But he's here as a refugee. Oh, wow. He... He attended a lot of school, like he, uh, like he went to South Africa for his degree. He has a master's degree in economy. So he, he's smart. He's a refugee. But when you talk, you have a conversation with him, he, his mind, he's very, he's very wise. So what I can tell people, don't see the refugee in a negative way. Mm-hmm. No. Just when you see a refugee, just help them, be close to them. We are human beings, we learn from one another. Mm-hmm. Refugees, they are very smart. I remember when I was, we were in a, in a refugee in Congo, we are very smart. We used to be the first in the class. Mm-hmm. Hey, we always like they used to call us, uh, they, was, they used to give like a give a reward uh, for the people, like when I was in a P2. So they used uh, to give us like a when when you you you, you perform the wellness class, they call you, they give your book, they give your bike, mm-hmm. they give something like a, to encourage you to start mm-hmm. a lot. So I used to get that, and most of the people who used to get that were refugees, were Tutsis who were refugees in Dura Congo. Mm-hmm. So we are smart. We are human yeah. beings like others. We are. It, you know, it's so sad to me that that needs to even be said. Mm. Like, hey, I'm a human just like you. Sure. Because it, it seems that over and over again, when we look at people who are different from us, mm. we, we dehumanize them. We don't see them as equals. You, And that's, I don't know if it's fair to speak in de- to your country's experience, but to say Hutu and Tutsi, like, that we're not brothers and sisters because yeah. uh, the difference of our size <laughs> of our nose or yeah. the, like, you know, and in our country, it's, you know, black and white, mm-hmm. and there's there's this human propensity that we stop seeing the other as just as equal to us, and it does terrible things when that happens. So that's the yeah, mm, that, that's that, that's a problem. Uh, uh, but the good things are uh, the matter of uh, it's the matter of the time. As long as you're close to them, you close to the refugees, close to the, those people whom. You don't share the same, you know, background. You get to know more and more about them. Yep. So th- the good things of that, just be close to them. Be close to them. Just help them. Show mm-hmm. the love. 
Yeah, learn the stories. Well, the hope was you'd come on here and talk for a few minutes and we would learn your story. And we've gone a lot longer than I thought we were going to go because you're fun to talk to. You've got good stuff. And I'm still a little bitter that the comedy club <laughs> invited you back and they didn't do that yeah, for me. Yeah, they, so maybe, maybe your jokes wasn't... Did you prepare for a joke? Did you prepare... I, I for, had, yes. I had, are you sure? Yes, I had a few jokes that I had prepared. Are you sure? You, obviously, I didn't prepare enough. Thank okay. you. <laughs> Since you've been there and did better than me. Because <laughs> uh, I have been performing stand-up comedy for different uh, backgrounds. And uh, one thing that's always helped me to be, to always to, 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 to attract my audience is, is to know what they want, what mm-hmm. they want to hear. Like here, when, the first things when I went to the, to the stage to perform, I was not wearing like this. I have my African clothes. I have my traditional clothes. Wait, hold on. When you were at Cap City, you yeah. were wearing traditional traditional clothes. The first thing that was amazed them is to see somebody come with traditional clothes. They have never seen that. One. I've never seen you wear that. You did that just because it's funny. Yeah, it's funny. That, that's my private one. Can if I borrow it, some? No, can no, no, I wear no, those clothes no, next no, time? No, 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 no. Do you think no, I can pull no, it off? No, no. <laughs> can I say I'm from Rwanda too? <laughs> you already said I have a tootsie nose, so I could just say yeah, you have tootsie already. You have a tootsie nose. And How's the, the hair? Is this tootsie yeah, the hair? Yeah, the hair is Hutu. Hutu? Oh. <laughs> oh. I'm kidding. Oh. <laughs> no, uh. that's... When you come to... Because mostly, I don't know how about here. Like in Africa, mostly that's where I have been performing. One thing, when you come to the stage, the, what we call intro to the mm-hmm. stage, uh, it's very important. How people, they see you there. Whatever, if you enter as funny... Whatever you say, when, even if it's not funny, they will laugh because the way you entered, you entered, yeah, there is a song already. I entered in a song, African song, very funny. I went there. <laughs> and then one day he saw me with the saying, he's my way. He's a bushman. He's a pygmy. Is it? No, I said, that's good. And then I started talking French because I know how many Americans, they don't speak French. So I, I confused oui, them. Oui, yeah. I confused them very serious. I came to confuse them. My first stand-up comedy, I confused the Americans. I say, hey, bonjour. Comment allez-vous? Ça va? And then I had some You're people lost. say, hey. See, I'd say, hey, uh, any other preachers in the house? And they're all, there's, <laughs> no. Uh, and I was trying to be awkward just to be funny. And then I couldn't convince, like the last set I did, I couldn't convince them that I was a preacher. Like I had, to, it was probably a minute and a half before I was like, I, no, you have to believe I'm a preacher for this to be funny. <laughs> Otherwise... <laughs> And I can I can convince him that I I don't know I'm planning something that you you will help me. Okay, uh, we can make it, and then with your help, with other some other helps, because uh, uh, there is a a comedian here called Michael Junior. Do you know him? He do yeah, Christian yeah, comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, uh, I used to do that in the church. Mm-hmm. You know uh, the good things I like from you when you preaching. Always, we hear people laughing. I don't know what they are laughing, but they laugh. <laughs> so the first time, because you know, to get your the accent, American accent was very difficult for me. Because the first prayer I came here, first service, you you preached that. I remember that time, mm-hmm. and then people were laughing, say, "Hey, oh, look, he's a comedian, he's a <laughs> comedian. That's good." Because people they want to hear uh, the the we can if each and everyone has a strategy to preach and then to teach, and uh, it's good. The the easiest way to teach is to 
to to to attract the audience mm-hmm. they love you bring some jokes mm-hmm. those fun videos of yours i don't know where you you get them honestly <laughs> like today the video that i saw maybe the amazon they should pay us because we advertise for them yeah i know i should get a kickback sure, from that sure, sure, but we also had the football clip today yeah but like, that, that's good that's good i don't know that's why i say football maybe it's not fair because imagine running after the ball but holding a ball to throwing the trash but the guy failed to throw the ball in a trash close like i don't know that's we call it precision uh, I will, will, precision, precision, precision. Yeah, precision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, precision is like a way. accuracy. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. So <laughs> that video was funny. Honestly, where mm-hmm. did you get the video? That was just on the internet. It was, uh, uh, it was the actual footage from like <laughs> main TV, and someone cut it and put it on. It, what we're talking about is that the Dak Prescott quarterback for the Cowboys <laughs> threw a piece of trash in the trash can, but it missed. And since he's such uh, a godsend angel for all of us football fans. He gets up just like <laughs> Jesus would and throws in the trash. <laughs> That's what I did. Just That's what's funny. So it, it did way better than I thought it was going to do. One thing I just want to do in the future uh, is to do Christian comedy. I, I call it Christian comedy. Not Christian comedy as a Christian. People, they should understand this. Not, it, I call it educative comedy. Like he, yeah. Do you know the story about... Uh, in the international class, I made a, sometime when I translate, I made a, some funny stuff. We were talking about a uh, book of Act when, uh, when Paul, uh, you know, those uh, sons of what? You so, know, did you know this uh, process say that Paul, I know, uh, and Jesus, oh, yeah, yeah. I know. But but who? we've never heard of you, yeah, mm-hmm. the, to the ones who are trying to cast out the ah, demon. Th- th- those the people, demons say that to him. Mm-hmm, yeah. The demons told those guys. Yes, they, came, yeah, yeah. They, they, they came and then they start, maybe they, they start praying, mm-hmm. uh, casting out the demons. Mm-hmm. And then the demons, they say, these people, they are funny. They just want to, to think that we are easier. Though. So we, ne- mm-hmm. if you're not ready, you cannot, uh, you cannot chase mm-hmm. the demons. If yeah. you're not in spirit, because they are spirits. You must be in spirit to chase them. Mm-hmm. So they came like, okay, let's try. Paul has done this. And mm-hmm. now we have a good background. Our fathers, they mm-hmm. are, they are priests. They were, no, let's try and then j- jokes with this demon. They say, maybe they made us funny prayer. Get out, get out. Mm. And then the demons look at them. <laughs> Paul, we know him. And Jesus, we know him. Who are you? <laughs> you see, uh, we, I, like when I was in Sunday school, I used to have teach Sunday school and a, and, 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 and a youth. But the way I used to translate, like to take by the Bible verses and put in a normal way, it was funny. So that's, I used to do this when a, most of the Christian concert, uh, Big Hour, there is a word called Groove Hour, Big Hour in Africa. I was, uh, had privilege to be the master of ceremony. That's mm-hmm. the, so uh, why they choose me to be that? Because they want to laugh in a, in, in a, in a Christian way because uh, we, I used to call it, it's a, I'm a, I used to call myself a holy entertainer, not mm-hmm. entertainer like a holy entertainer. I just want to entertain the holy people, the priests, yeah. you know, the, how the Bible calls us, we are holy, we are righteous. So 
with those people, those holy people, those righteous people, they need entertainment. They need yeah. entertainment. That entertainment comes from the Bible. That's what you do when people they love. They always remember the jokes about the Bible, and then the old. Even Jesus was a comedian sometimes. Cause Told some funny stuff. Very funny stuff. He used mm. to make jokes with yeah them. They love. So what I'm hearing you saying is that you're gonna you're gonna endorse my comedy as being very funny. My my sermons, my jokes are great. That's what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. And uh, even if people don't laugh at some of them, I know you've got my back, right? <laughs> you've got my back. No, we, we can do something. We we can do a project. We, we I think know. we I think I've got a project in mind for you. So we'll I, I do I've got something for you. I want to help. But anyway, we'll talk about it when we're yeah sure sure we'll talk about it. We we'll get time for that because ah uh, I saw something grateful in you. You you have knowledge about the Bible, which is very important, and then you know how to transmit the message to the people, and uh, always people they laugh when they you stand there. They always laugh. You want to introduce their laugh. When they see you, they laugh, which is good. People, they should always smile when they see us. They I hope so. Yeah. Mm, that's, we will work on that project, and it would be successful. Yeah. yeah, I got something for you. All right. Well, this has been fun. You're, uh, I didn't get you on here just to say nice things about me, but since you're going to say them, I will take them. But I'm going to give them back to you. You're the man. I'm just trying to be like you. Thanks, Ramjan. Thank you so much, Luke. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.